hello. Welcome to Knuckle Push-Ups, a hoops podcast fighting out of Boston, Massachusetts. In the red corner, it's me, the middle-aged kid, the Wollaston Beach bad boy, a basketball enthusiast and an NBA atheist, Patrick O'Connor. And in the blue corner, the 6'4", menace out of East Dennis, the scourge of the Norfolk commuter rail. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this is Sean Silver. What a wild introduction, Patrick. <laughs> and I got to say, this, I believe, is our fifth podcast of this current incarnation here. Uh, you have given yourself how many nicknames? It's five episodes in? Five episodes in. I got to say, I'm clocking a good 15 right now, and I don't even think I've nice. scratched the surface. I heard a few there. I'm sure there's some more up in that dome of yours. Had to engage that uh, improv brain, baby. I mean, I get the suggestion, and then we create a magical world around it. Yeah, man. You don't choose the improv life. The improv life definitely chose you. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it chooses you. So I got a, I got a pretty jam-packed schedule for you today, Sean. We're going to do some – we're going to do hot take, take a bus – We're going to do a self-imposed mailbag of stuff that's rattling around. We're going to talk about – it's Thanksgiving week. We're going to talk about some things that we're thankful for in the NBA and otherwise. But uh, late-breaking news – or not really late-breaking, but breaking news nonetheless. The NBA is seriously considering quite a few changes for the 75th anniversary season, the 21-22 season. Uh, And this is some stuff that's been rattling around kind of – the NBA circles that we maybe not traffic in, but definitely observe. Uh, so wanted to start there, just kind of get your thoughts on on the big proposed changes that have been championed by guys like Zach Lowe, Bill Simmons, and and the Woj bomb himself uh, over the last couple of years. I mean, this is a Simmons thing going way back. Way back. You know, the book book of basketball version one. Um, you know, Simmons definitely talked about a variety of things that he would change about the sport. Maybe it's the fact that it's Thanksgiving week or whatever, or that this was kind of like a Friday afternoon news dump thing. Yeah. But I'm I'm surprised this isn't getting more traction. I mean, this would really alter the way that the NBA is consumed. Yeah, big time. Uh, in particular, the way that the playoffs are consumed and the way that we've been taught to follow the NBA, the playoffs are maybe they're telling us that stuff matters during the regular season. Maybe it doesn't, but the playoffs definitely matter. That's what you go all year for. And if you're changing the way that you get into and compete in the playoffs, it's pretty huge. Well, I think the, it goes back to this where we're dealing with a league that sees itself as the most progressive, uh, definitely the players are the most forward facing and we're, but they're still playing by the rules that are bound largely to broadcast television and to a certain extent cable. But that's not the world we're going to be living in in even the next two or three years. So I think the NBA, again, is really forward-thinking in the way they want to be consumed and letting the different channels kind of come to them. More on that later. I have some big thoughts I want to get your ideas on. But let's do a a quick recap of the changes that are being proposed. Uh, Number one would be an in-season tournament. Um, it kind of mirrors a lot of what um, Adam Silver, who's a big fan of soccer, it pulls a lot of ideas of, of tournament play from, um, from Premier League and from European soccer. Um, the second proposed change would be a playoff tournament for the seventh and eighth seeds to kind of like let the bottom teams play their way into the playoffs. Again, very exciting. Yep. The third change of which would be a reseeding of the conference finals. 
So once you're getting into the upper echelon of the playoffs, we're, we're kind of doing away with East versus West and reseeding everybody for uh, argue, maybe the most compelling matchups. So with those changes in mind, Sean, what is it specifically that you either like or dislike about these things? I mean, I, I have my own thoughts, but let's volley it over to you first. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting how you mentioned how the league is consumed. And and that wasn't really even something that crossed my mind initially. The first thing that crossed my mind is, well, I'm a purist and I like it like this. Um, you know, I, I have a deep respect for the history of the game. Um, I have a deep respect for numbers. But, you know, the, the more that sports goes along, the more that those don't matter. I mean, we've already seen them uh, completely go out the window in baseball. We've seen it in football as well. Uh, you know, what would be so much different about basketball. But the thing that, that basketball could do that sets it apart from those other sports is by get, basically getting ahead of things here and making changes, you know, before it's too late. We're already seeing baseball kind of die out in its viewership. Who knows what's going to happen there? You could argue that football has certainly reached its apex and, and may be on the way down. Uh, the NBA doesn't want to be like that. So credit to them for doing that. I don't know how much buy-in necessarily that the league is going to get from the fans or the players on this. And obviously that's the, the thing that determines whether or not this happens and whether or not it's successful. But I do credit the league for trying it. Yeah, I think it, it winds up – one thing you said that really kind of spoke to me was you're a purist, thinking about how things have been consumed, and I like it this way. You're right in that what the presentation we've seen has been – we've seen it evolve. Like both the two of us, we've been watching hoops for roughly the same amount of time and through the same period of time. The way it's been presented to us has always been at the forefront of how people our age have consumed that sport. But not that long before you and I were around and mixing it up, whether it be uh, on the Cape or, or wherever, like – Yep. The, uh, off the off cape. the cape now off the cape two worlds, <laughs> two worlds. yeah over that bridge <laughs> yeah. and exactly but the um how it was consumed less than a generation before that the NBA finals was on a tape delay that's true. like so the the version of the NBA that we're seeing is at least caught up to what national television broadcasts can do and kind of like selling those live rights to local television providers. I think the yeah. the difference between how it is now versus how it could be in the future is largely based on how the audience is going to consume it and who's willing to pay for it, both from a consumer standpoint and from a sponsorship standpoint. So while, yes, an in-season tournament might not necessarily make sense because it's so arched to what we've already consumed, if Amazon bids – for like Amazon right now shows like Thursday night football games. Let's say they throw a big money bid at like the November play-in tournament or the November tournament for the NBA. They have the exclusive broadcasting rights of that. And the winning team winds up getting, you know, advanced. One of the ideas Kevin O'Connor from the ringer had pitched was they get weighted odds for uh, draft rights uh, to be kind of the incentive for a team to want to do that. Plus, yeah. if you have an exclusive sponsor like Amazon that owns the broadcast rights, it's an infusion of cash completely devoid of local TV broadcast or TNT rights or anything like that. Whoever should be paying that would be paying that money would be going in, arguably to either the team or the players uh, or to the league, to whoever winds up like competing or winning that tournament. That's the way you get something like this passed because there needs to be incentive for the players who are actually going to be, you know, on the court. 
Um, but I think that's the way you do that. Plus, it winds up taking the NBA and probably the league, arguably, it's going to go to, to a streaming provider um, that's going to be how media is consumed. I mean, that's a completely different uh, conversation, which we can kind of put an earmark on this and come back and do a full pod on it because hot damn. I mean, I think that's kind of the way it's going. The uh, the NBA's marketing approach, I mean, we grew up in a David Stern league and he had the longest reign of pretty much any commissioner that I can imagine from any sport. I mean, from what, 84 to just a few years ago, I think Stern was at the head of the NBA. Uh, that was the majority of our lifetimes. So that's the only NBA that we knew, and their marketing approach has always been that the stars are the ones that matter. It's not necessarily the teams. Right. Um, and, you know, you've reached a point now where kind of, I, I would say, the majority of the fan bases that have a star are kind of wondering if their star is going to leave. Right. Um, if they don't have a star, those teams are tanking so they can get a star. And it, this is maybe a way to – like you're talking about Amazon and stuff, that's not a casual fans kind of thing. That's like a grow the you know the the masses who are addicted to the product, and people are just naturally addicted to say the NFL. They wake up on a Sunday and that's just what they do. It happens other nights of the week. There's a football game on. The TV is going to be on. It's the same with European soccer. It's a way of life for the people who follow those clubs. So if you can make the season matter, if you can create more subplots, we spent the entire first episode of this podcast talking about NBA subplots, that is what you need to sustain through a six-month professional sports season is more subplots. Well, 100%. I mean, I think the thing with Amazon is, I'm going to butcher the quote, but they've essentially said that uh, they'll produce, they'll spend a billion dollars to produce a Lord of the Rings TV shows because it's going to help them sell more toilet paper. You know, I mean, people who rely on Amazon for just buying large things, small things, everyday things or whatever, get Prime. If they have Amazon Prime, they get this whole streaming service, which is basically an ocean of content just to keep people away from watching Netflix or watching television and thinking about Amazon first. If I'm thinking about how The Marvelous Mrs. Basil Season 3 is coming out soon, that's on Amazon. Oh, also, I need to get dog food. It's enough of a trigger in your brain to know that it's like this show's on Amazon. What else do I need to get? What else can I buy on Amazon? The NBA can be tapping into the same exact idea where, yes, you're going to have – you're going to get the infusion of people who it's like I can watch this exclusive NBA content if I sign up for Prime. So there's that. But once they're there, they can see, oh, I can add League Pass to my Prime channels. I'll do that through Amazon. And also for the people who are consuming content – uh, they can now do so much easier through like the one channel they're already viewing. It's also time that you're not spending watching something else. You're watching it all yeah. through. It makes much more sense for Amazon to make a play at that than it does, in my opinion, to acquire like, you know, the entire catalog of Miramax or, or Fox, Fox Searchlight or, or whatever. It's um, yeah. that's, that's kind of the play. And I think like a, a forward facing company or uh, collection league, like the NBA, that's way more of like how they're they're gunning. Because if their fan base is consuming everything either on an iPad or on a phone and for highlights and clips, that's how most of the NBA is consumed, at least, you know, somewhat. I mean, that's how people are staying conversational about it. It's such a viral moment type of league. It makes sense for you to consume all of it through one medium. And the NBA knows that. Their stars know it. And if they can get in bed with a big company and a big distributor like that, you don't cut out the middleman. You cut out everybody. You're going straight to the source. 
that's a seismic shift in the way that sports has been presented to the fans. And I'm just fascinated by how this is going to go along here. Obviously, these are ideas right now. They need the approval of the Players Association, and they need the approval of the people who consume the sport. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know if the league is just going to ram everything through and say, hey, you know, you deal with it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> because, you know, they, they as much as this is an idea to stay relevant in the future and, and perhaps even, you know, grow their standing, it's still so divergent from all the models, you know, regional sports networks. I mean, all these things that have been set up, all the things that currently fund what is going on with the league uh, would change. And yeah, if you're, if you're getting, you know, billions of dollars from Amazon as opposed to you know, regional sports and all that bidding that goes on at the current TV rights, maybe it's, it's just, you know, you, you're changing from Peter to Paul as the, per, the person who's putting the, the coins in your pocket. Yeah, I mean, I think that's why if they start small with something like this, it would be the exclusive rights to this tournament, right? And the benefit is that, like, Got it. you have – that's going to be wave one, right? I mean, like, cause, because if um, a company like Comcast Sports – or Fox Sports, whoever has like the regional rights to several different teams, if they're not going to bid for that, or they're worried about like, no one's going to watch this because it it doesn't really mean anything, or it's early in the season, it's not playoffs, which is why we're doing this, then why not let a company who's going to, you know, pay for everything, Amazon, Netflix, Disney Plus, who knows? Try it out. Like, yeah, yeah go ahead. You can have the exclusive rights to this, kind of like they did with, um, with FIBA. I mean, most FIBA games... During the tournament this past summer, they weren't like readily and easily accessible. They might have been some of them might have been at ESPN Plus, some of them were on NBA TV, where it makes much more sense, in my opinion, to like just swoop in and be like, "We own all of this. We're playing it. It's not going to be that long," and you have your branding on everything. It's worth the experiment, and a company like Amazon could pay for the whole thing to see if it works. So we'll see where this goes. I mean, I'm I'm definitely interested in hearing more hot takes the way that people feel about these proposals because they're it's it's quite a change it's it's a long a far cry from you know john tesh (laughs) playing the nba on nbc music on a uh on a a weekend afternoon what do you think about the uh the idea of the play-in tournament for a team seven through ten for uh for the last two spots in, in the playoffs on either either east or west on one hand it involves those fan bases who, you know, might feel like their seasons are going nowhere. You know, I, I think about maybe about four or five years ago, back when the Phoenix Suns were good the last time. Yeah. They had like a 48-win season and missed the playoffs, and it's just like, oh, man, you know, imagine if they'd had some other way to keep the fan base engaged on that exciting team and exciting season for a little while longer. So on one hand, you get that. On the other hand, I mean, it's it's kind of almost another way to say, well, the regular season maybe doesn't matter as much because then you think, well, in those 78 games, I guess, which is proposed, or 82 games or whatever it is, you probably should have settled what you've already done, right? That's the point of the regular season is to you know set up the playoffs. Now, are you a fan of the whole East versus West method for playoffs? Because like, over the past couple of years, the West has been a much more – it has looked like a different sport at times than what East Coast yeah. basketball is. It has for a long time. It's it's kind of wild how that's been the case. I mean, at least you know East versus West. 
you could say in the 80s, you know, you had the Showtime Lakers and a lot of high-scoring teams, Denver, the Mavericks, you know, et cetera, out there, whereas in the East you had more lunch-pail teams like the Pistons, Celtics. Uh, in the last two decades, it's it's been really stark stylistically, uh, talent-wise at times. I mean, if you look at the All-Star game lineups, uh, it's kind of been like, man, the West is really good and the East is Jamal McGlure's on the East team. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm sorry, Jamal McGlure, because you just always come up as the punchline, but it's it's not always the Genetti of '90s basketball, <laughs> essentially. But I I guess it's intriguing to have I guess your top two teams meeting in the finals. It's just it's going to take some getting used to. It's a departure to everything that we've known up until now. I think I mean I'm not real. I like the whole East versus West thing, but like the disparity between the level of play is truly something. Uh, I would actually, I'm surprised this hasn't come up. If you want to reseed how you do the finals, that's one thing. And I'm not opposed to the 7 through 10 play-in tournament. I think that could be kind of fun. Um, because who doesn't like, I mean, wildcard weekend, right? So I think kind of in taking the what has worked in sports and other major American sports and infusing it into basketball, I think is a really, really good idea. The one thing I haven't heard brought up yet is establishing different types of conferences um, closer to the NFL with the AFC and the NFC, where it's like that way you have West Coast and East Coast and, and Central representation across two different conferences where it's not like so you're not just playing East Coast teams most or West Coast teams most. There's more like it's almost like you're drawing like a line almost like North versus South across the country yeah. and establish two conferences that way. Well, it's interesting, you know, I, I think the travel comes in most to play with that because think about it, the NFL does that, but hockey does not. I know baseball does, but you're talking about teams in baseball that are playing each other for three or four days at a time. So from a travel perspective, the NBA just went, underwent all these changes to lengthen the season so there'd be more days off, et cetera, fewer back-to-backs. Uh, if you throw in more and I know this isn't, you know, the 1960s or whatever, but if you throw in more cross-country travel, that's kind of the antithesis of what they've already tried. Very true. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I think if you smooth out the season and maybe eliminate some games, get rid of back-to-backs as well, all all these things are possible. But until then, until it's down to a science, you basically run every team like a traveling circus, like you're just working your way from the center of the country back to where you're going on the coast. Um, you, yeah, the travel would be insane for a basketball team. Patrick, do you care about how many games are in an NBA season? I mean, is it something where, you know, customarily we're at 82, 78 is being talked at as, as kind of like a minimum right now. I know back in the 2011, 2012 strike year out of necessity, they did 66. I actually think less games is better for the sport overall because it's easier to consume more of the product, not necessarily just your home product. Uh, where I think it comes into play is what you're charging season ticket holders. And speaking as a season ticket holder, I know I wouldn't want to pay the same amount per season for less overall games in market. So that too would have to come into play, and it depends on where the cash is coming from. If it's not going to affect my pocket, I'm not going to go to all 39 games even now. But and that winds up being roughly the same for what you wind up getting. You give like you know instead of giving away seats for soldiers, maybe you're more inclined to hold on to that game as a season yeah. ticket holder. But it all comes down to price, you know. I mean, I think that's that's the big part they'd have to kind of think about where that extra money is coming from, because the owners certainly are not going to take a discount. Doesn't matter what the fans want. 
So I think, uh, but overall, as an NBA theist, I do think overall, if I consume more basketball overall, it's better for the sport. But again, you're getting into like kind of football territory there where you just sit, plop down on the couch and watch whatever games come up. If the NBA is trying to move to that model, like again, smoothing out where it's more of a star driven league and not necessarily a Jersey or regional driven league. I don't know that that matters overall as much because you're going to get the basketball some way. That's just what they want. You are an NBA theist. You uh, obviously approach conversations like this with with a great amount of care and a great amount of scrutiny. So we're going to keep tabs on how these conversations go along. What about the league right now? The the product that we're seeing currently. I, I think this this year has been different from some of the recent years that we've seen. Yeah. Uh, some of the teams that are up atop the standings, some of the the personalities that are moving to the forefront. I kind of wanted to dig in. Uh, asking each other maybe some questions uh, about what we're seeing out there. I, um, I'm in, man. I'll let you uh, – we've got a list here. I'm going to let you pick the one you want, and let's go. Uh, with, uh, where you want to start? Pick a spot. Okay, so this is one that, that uh, came up based off a very recent performance. Uh, Carmelo Anthony back in the NBA with the Portland Trailblazers. I have never liked the player, never liked the player. I've always just found him horribly boring. Um, so it, 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 in a way it pains me to lead off a segment of this podcast, just saying, Oh, Hey, let's talk about Carmelo Anthony to lead it off. But here's this guy been out of the league basically for a year, uh, makes his comeback when nobody wanted him. And to me, it's, it's kind of charming. It's kind of charming seeing this old school kind of player who scores on ISOs, and post-ups and mid-range shots. He hit a few threes, but 25 points, and the Blazers won a basketball game with Carmelo Anthony in a starring role. Is is this guy still a useful NBA player? Is he something more than that to you, Patrick? Um, the Carmelo, the player, has never been has never meant a lot to me. He's always been been a great kind of foil for anything that I thought that mattered, like the whole LeBron versus Melo conversation at the beginning of their career was always kind of interesting. He's always been the, uh, not necessarily the villain, but cast as the secondary guy in a in a in any type of rivalry. When he went to New York, the the kind of mini rivalry that was popping up between the Celtics and the Knicks at like the in the early 10s was, was really fun, and he was an easy guy to hate. Um, never, never forget the Honey Nut Cheerios incident of 2011. <laughs> Uh, which was just fantastic. So he's always been kind of been like a really great villain, even though he's a he's he, he killed Lin Sanity. Yeah, he did. He killed Lin Sanity. He, he always kind of had this Mamba mentality without the of uh, the without the venom of a Mamba. You know, I think. Um, but what it really means, what it, why I like this and why I like that he's back, I think it's just because it's another guy in his 30s trying to make it happen still, which is what's really appealing to me as a man. Yeah, we'll buy in on that for Hell sure. Hell yeah, man. I mean, just clinging to the mid-30s, and I'm like clinging to the end of it. So it's um, – but like I'm just thinking like, yeah, good for Mello. Like get in there and, and prove you can still do it. I mean, I think it appeals to the wrestling fan in me. It just reminds me of Steve Austin's final run to his last WrestleMania, WrestleMania 19, and just thinking like he could still do this. Uh, it, it's it's so for that reason I'm all in on the mellow experiment in in the Pacific Northwest. That said, I don't think it's going anywhere. That team does not look great. Uh, so I don't know. Maybe maybe they're going to have like a resurgence once Dame and CJ and Mello have all gelled. Uh, like uh, I read Dan Devine from the Ringer his piece 
uh, right when Melo made his return, his debut, that uh, he only knew about five of the 100 plays just based on the, the amount of time he'd been able to practice with the team. So maybe once that yeah. gels, he kind of has this last resurgence. He kind of get Portland to where they need to be, or at least back to last season's form. It's uh, Maybe he's enough. I don't know. But, yeah, the, the sin of killing Lynn Sanity is a hard one to forgive. Stone Cold Carmelo Stone Anthony. Cold I, Carmelo Anthony. I do think that there's a way that, that Portland can find their way back to you know, playing at the level they were last year, but I, I think that our, we're already kind of at a lost season for them. They lost too much yeah. of what made them special last year. Like a lot yeah. of teams, they often do this. They kind of they somehow discover that chocolate and peanut butter taste great together, and then they try to manufacture it and kill it completely. Because what made that team really special last year were the guys like um, Mo Harkless, uh, Al Farouk Aminu, Evan Turner. Yep. Like these energy guys off the bench that were like looking to prove something, you know. Classic Portland Trailblazers role players. Exactly. Too. I mean, that's a city they they they're great fans. They love players like that. And then you're swapping out guys like Anthony Tolliver, like into the team. You're leaning on the rookies like Anthony Simons and young players like Nazir Little, and it just doesn't have yeah. the same effect because you're not bringing in guys to fill a specific role. You're hoping the people you sign can morph into those. And that it it's it's every team that has done that has taken a huge step back. Uh, and I, I think it, it's unfortunate. But, I mean, we're still really early in the season. I mean, they may discover something else or they may be a team sure. that just is able to ride out the injury bug and that doesn't get wiped out like the fucking bubonic plague. So maybe they're, maybe they're immune to that and they, they wind up surviving. Or maybe Mellow is the secret sauce. Maybe this new humble Mellow, number zero, is, uh, is what's going to even them out. Who knows? I do know that players in their mid to late 30s coming back for one last go at it, it's usually on a team that's not very successful. Overall. That's true. That's very true. But Carmelo says this is not a farewell tour, so we'll see if we believe him. We'll, we'll see if all that time spent with uh, Chris Brickley, our friend's cousin, is uh, going to help Melo out. The, uh, well, actually, the one thing about Melo that, that made me really interested, I think it relates really nicely to what I think the midseason tournament proposal could wind up being so what if this to bridge segment one to segment two here sean sure think about this let's say the first that play-in tournament is essentially the kickoff after like the big pomp and circumstance first week of the nba we shift into tournament mode and you've got guys who are looking to continue to earn their spot on the team play through that tournament so you have guys like if Melo is on a team or if Joe Johnson is still on the Pistons through that time, that you'll never forgive them. Yeah, never ever. But like, what if guys who are trying to make it in the NBA, either up from the G League or trying out a new team, if that early season tournament is a chance to kind of like play and see if this is a guy that can help our team out long term, as an opportunity to be seen. Or to kind of like not only for the team you're playing on, but other teams around the league to fill those final roster spots. What if the teams are a little fat through, you know, I guess Christmas is really kind of the unofficial official kickoff to the NBA season. What if uh, the NBA through that you can carry 20 men on a roster? Well, interesting. I mean, in lieu of having that lengthy preseason, they did cut it down to four games this year. So not saying this is preseason play. I mean, these these games do count. But 
Yeah, kind of letting everybody play by the same rules. That's an interesting approach. Right. Maybe. And think about like, you know, for a guy like LeBron, maybe you're doing a lot of load management through Christmas. Or maybe it's like, hey, I'm not going to play in the tournament or in the opening round of the tournament. I'm going to let Melo and, and the boys, like, like Kyle Kuzma and Melo, be the front line of the Lakers. And then in the semifinals and finals of this tournament, LeBron uh, kind of puts the pedal down and starts playing through Christmas. Maybe so. Patrick O'Connor, Adam Silver's biggest fan, <laughs> finding all kinds of ways to rationalize this in-season tournament. We've got a similar haircut, so we think similar ways. I have a question for you, bud, that uh, yes, I was hoping to get your thoughts on. So um, I have some thoughts on why TV ratings are down. But before I just expound on those, I'm curious, like, what do you think of the product thus far? And why do you think it's not really clicking with people who aren't uh, consuming as much hoops as possible like you and I are. Well, I mean, you got lots of competition from other places. You've obviously got the mass Singer. Yeah, 100%. Uh, big, big television experience, which is just soaking up viewers away from the NBA. I know at least in, in my house the night that the mass Singer is on, uh, we put everything else on hold. Um, I, I don't know specifically. I mean, I have some – some thoughts on stuff that I don't like. I don't think that the review process has helped necessarily. That Celtics game on Monday night against the Kings. Uh, I mean, you had you had some reviews in there. You had some timeouts. But there was a tweet out there. I forget. Somebody I follow. There were about nine minutes of commercials for the last 13 seconds of the Celtics-Kings <laughs> yeah. game. And, you know, and again, it wasn't all timeouts. And the NBA has taken steps to limit the number of timeouts that you can take at that juncture of the contest and take overall and a half. But I think that you need to keep going on that. And I think that the video review stuff has just gotten out of control. I really do. And in the interest of trying to get it right, uh, you are making it damn near impossible to consume a basketball game. So I'm, I'm out on that. I also kind of find that the product has become really homogenous as, as analytics have crept in. And, you know, I was the type of guy who used to think that college hoops was kind of a one-dimensional experience with just you know, a bunch of guys bombing behind the arc or posting up, and that's really all that you saw. Um, the, now I find that sometimes I'd rather watch college basketball because the NBA is just possession ends and three-pointer followed by possession ends and three-pointer followed by possession ends and three-pointer. I, I don't know if people are actually tiring of that. I mean, I'm still going to watch it. It's my favorite sport. You know, the Celtics are my favorite team. They're a big part of my life. I'm an addict. I'm the type of guy who Amazon sees coming for, for something like right. this. But I, I do feel like, you know, the, the analytics is making the quality of the play come down a little bit. I think, yeah, I, I think you're really on to something there. I think ratings are down because, A, people are flooded by options, and, B, it's endlessly discussed at all times, and it's easy to consume quickly on Twitter yeah. Or Instagram, or people who are still watching Sports Center, it's it's much easier to consume the NBA through your preferred method, especially because it's going to light up every social media platform that you're on. It's That's so true. it's it's not as appointment viewing, and there's so much of it. Like so, maybe the ratings don't matter so much as the interactions, the the likes, the favorites. Now you're talking because the NBA doesn't make money on basic cable anymore. The NBA makes money on consumption regardless of the medium. So who gives a shit if the ratings are down? Same thing with WWE. 
our other favorite sport where it's like, yeah, if people watching on Fox, kind of, sort of. Are they watching on USA? Eh, maybe. Is Suits on? I guess I'll watch wrestling before Suits starts. <laughs> or, you know, or... Is that even on oh, anymore? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Or like... What's it been on for like 10 Yeah, years? hell yeah, man. Me- it launched the princess. <laughs> I mean, Meghan Markle is now the princess of England. She started on Suits. God bless. Suits, very important. But And also, like, is AEW, who's going to win the ratings war, NXT or AEW? Like, if I'm WWE, who gives a fuck? Because the vast majority of my audience, the people who are my hardcore fans, they're subscribing to the network. You know, what does it matter? I mean, like, yes, like, the, the cable money makes a lot of, like, makes a big difference to pay the talent. But the WWE makes money based on the subscriptions. The same way with pay-per-view. Who cares what the pay-per-view numbers now? Like you, I can spend 60 bucks on a pay-per-view or that'll pay six months of subscribing to the network. The NBA is going to move to that model pretty soon. They have to if they want to stay relevant. I mean right now they're like they can make money based on um, like ESPN Plus, which is a subscription model. They can make money on – I'm sure like TNT is going to start pushing some of their games, probably the Bleacher Report. It's all, it's all like, so I don't think the ratings being down matters because the content is being consumed uh, in in one way or another. So that's my, welcome to Patrick O'Connor's media TED talk. Um, But so moving on, let's get back to hoops. Yeah, here, here I am trying to dissect, you know, the, the intricacies of the game. And uh, this is why we're good foils for each other in a podcast setting, because we think about things very different. That's right. The, The hook and the jab, you and I, bud. Yeah. Which one's the hook? That's, well, it depends on the podcast. I think I'm the hook. You could you could probably see it coming with a lot of my opinions. But. Um, so let's get back to some more down and dirty hoop stuff. I got some some hoop specific questions for you. So let's talk a little bit about role players. All right, this is a mailbag yep. type of question. Who is your favorite Lakers role player right now? The Lakers are a fascinating collective of players, and it's. It's so the LeBron model over there. I mean, it, it's been that way everywhere he's gone. You know, when the Heat had the, the big money contracts and they had to fill out a bench, uh, same thing with the Cavaliers, and particularly the trades that happened when he was with the Cavaliers. They were bringing in guys just all over the place. It was like, does this guy have anything left in the tank? This guy is certainly a wild card. How is he going to perform you know, with this group of players, the Lakers are totally that. You know, you got Dwight Howard there, you got JaVale McGee there, and that's just the big men. Yeah. Um, you got Rajon Rondo in the mix. You got some volatile components. But so far, they, they're off to the best start of anybody else in the league. And the Lakers have been getting a lot of shine in the media lately because they continue to win. They continue to pile up the wins. But a guy who was a key cog of that early season winning was Avery Bradley. Oh, yeah. And there's a personal part to that because he's a former Celtic, uh, and I just like the fact that this guy is going to continue to play into his 30s. I mean, Avery Bradley could keep playing until he's like 35 years old and just, you know, go one-year contracts, a couple years here, et cetera, be a, be a role player on teams. But he was third on the Lakers in minutes until he went down with a recent injury. So I like A.B. I've always liked what he brings to the table. I think Danny Green is the analytics king over there. Everybody loves Danny Green's game, and with good reason. But uh, I just I just like seeing Avery Bradley there 
in in purple and gold, even if it's not Celtics green and white. I'm a big fan of the generational Kurt Rambis, Alex Caruso. I think he's. Uh, oh yeah. I think he's uh, he's surprising everyone walking onto the court looking like a substitute science teacher, and then just like Ding up and like taking off from the hash mark and and with it with jam every now and then a lot of fun it's uh it also doesn't hurt that he looks like a guy who like you'd pick last in rec league uh i love it but i think um yeah i mean i'm, I'm a rajon rondo guy through and through uh i think it's hard to hard to shake rondo once uh the most recent potentially final celtics captain uh wherever he's playing wherever he's playing i stand with rajon the um but speaking of which with all that, I think uh, you're 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 still you get out there and and do some exercise every once in a while. Am I wrong? I take long walks. Okay, so let's say you know you're out there, you're walking the dog, really crushing it, just really got sure. a good pace going, feeling like man, yes, yes, I, I do. should do this more often, right? I could do this every day. I should walk to the train. This is this is good. This is good for me. I'm experiencing the nature. This is awesome. But what happens once you stop walking, Sean? Well, I'm kind of a sweaty mess, I guess. Exactly. I, I realize, you know, that I realize how worked up I've gotten. And uh, then, then it's just left for me to kind of dry off, catch my breath. It's unpleasant. That's right. Real life catches up with you real quick. So right now, the Lakers are a guy in his 30s on a good pace, feeling like they could do this forever until the minute they stop. Oh, boy. And the minute they stop, it's all going to fall apart. So enjoy your lead right now, Lakers fans, because it ain't going to last. Well, we did call them fake uh, when we said that the Clippers were the real team in the Pacific. Damn right. Uh, in the last podcast, the last time we talked. So Like and subscribe. This, uh, this only makes you're doubling down, Patrick. I appreciate that. Well, it's actually an interesting point. Follow this transition here, Sean. So the Lakers, while I think they are going to run out of steam, they are clicking right now. One team that's not clicking at all, the Philadelphia 76ers. Any thoughts on why? Why can't that team uh, click into place like a, the like the, the Lego collection they are? Oh, because Joel Embiid's a horse's ass. <laughs> I mean, well, there's there's a lot of reasons. I mean, one of them is Josh Richardson hasn't been all he's cracked up to be, and I, I get what they were seeing by bringing in Josh Richardson. He's definitely a guy who's you know, shown his medal elsewhere, but I don't think that Josh Richardson is is. Uh, the established NBA talent that some of the guys that they got rid of, like a J.J. Redick is. Uh, maybe he can impact the game in different ways, but he he just he hasn't really fit there all that well. And the Embiid-Horford uh, partnership has not been great. Right. I, I look at that opening game where the Celtic, or the Sixers made the Celtics look pretty silly. Um, you know, they just look like a, a team of giants out there with, with uh, Lilliputians. And... You know everything that the Cel- that the Sixers did right in that game is is what tells me, you know, kind of what's going to serve them well this season. And everything that they did wrong is what keeps creeping up in their losses. And they just they don't execute. I mean, their offense is sad for a team with the amount uh, of talent that they do. And and that brings up some larger questions. You know, particularly about their superstar, uh, the components on that team, and the coach. Yeah, I think this is a this is a good menu, bad presentation type of team. Where you're sitting at dinner and you're like, ooh, I'm going to get the seafood tower. That sounds great. And then it comes out and it's just presented as a, like, you know, a three hunt, like three different machinations of crustaceans just lumped on one plate where all you're thinking is like, God, how much did this cost? Why am I paying for this? 
And I think that, like, in the preseason, when you're thinking, all right, they've signed Al Horford, the key, the cog in the machine that was the Boston Celtics for the past three seasons, and we're going to pay him over $100 million a year for four-plus seasons of an aging Al Horford. But that's fine because we're going to win the title by then. He's going to make JoJo so much better. And, oh, we're yeah. now into the extension money for Ben Simmons and for Joel Embiid and, okay, we're not paying Jimmy, but we are paying Josh Richardson, and we've also almost maxed out Tobias Harris. We've got the That's we've right. got the tallest starting five. This is awesome. It's just we've got five towers lined up, and no one's gonna you know our point guard six ten and all this right. But the bill has come due. The presentation is just not there, and I think everyone's thinking like, ooh, how are we gonna pay for all this if we're not getting what we thought we we're gonna get? And I think that's the problem. I think the Celt- the Sixers are built for the playoffs. If they make it to the playoffs. Yeah, they got to find a way to get from point A to point point Z right now, basically. And filling in all those letters is not going to be easy. We've seen other teams do this before, too. I feel like this was the hallmark of the second and third season of um, of the LeBron heat. And also sure. the, the Cavs in year two of LeBron going back to the Cavs. So, I mean, I have no doubt they'll be there, you know, come playoff time. But right now, it's just going to be a slog through the regular season. Yeah, they're still the team to beat. I mean, the Bucks right now have the best uh, record in the East. The Sixers, I watched the Sixers Heat game uh, last weekend, and they just dismantled Miami, which is another team that's up towards the top. I mean, so, you know, they could take apart Miami. They, they've already shown they could take apart the Celtics. Um, Milwaukee right now is getting by on the sheer force of nature that is Giannis Antetokounmpo. Yep. Hurricane Giannis. Pretty much uh, 40 some odd points. I mean, the MVP race is, is very intriguing this year. Um, have you ever seen another NBA player uh, like Luka Doncic in the uh, conversation of the MVP? Speaking of that, I've had, I've seen several other players like him, but none inhabiting the same body like Luka is. He's the mm-hmm. best parts of uh, like, he's the best parts of peak Dirk. He's also the best parts of peak Nash. And he also like has court vision like a, you know, a first MVP season Magic Johnson. It's unreal. That's exactly that's exactly where I was going. Yeah. I mean, he's he's Magic Johnson, right? That's the comp. Um, I, I just I have to hit the brakes a little bit on on all this because it's it's fascinating, but you know, to see this guy play as well as he's playing, but this league right now, everybody is eating. Yeah. Literally everybody gets a yeah. meal, and and that includes stars and role players. I was I was looking up some stats, and this was a couple of weeks ago. Like, how many rookies have had twenty point scoring yeah. nights? The NBA is playing at a phenomenal pace, and the Dallas Mavericks basically are the nineteen eighties Denver Nuggets, where you know Paul Westhead had the the fast break offense in, and uh, and you know Maxi Kleber is Kiki Vandeweghe. <laughs> I think, yeah, I mean, I think that's that's the thing that I love about the NBA the most is you have your guys that are selling shoes and you have your guys that are on posters. But what's keeping the NBA moving forward are guys that you don't know their name night to night. You know, it's like Maxi Kleber is a guy whose name I didn't hear up until this preseason. You know what I mean? It's like he was a second-round pick three years ago, I believe. And... um there's, I even there's more guys like that who are playing 
consistent roles to elevate different teams because I think GMs are getting smarter about what they're looking for and how they piece these guys together. I think the G League is going to wind up being a much bigger facilitator uh, for, for teams going forward. Uh, I think you see the investment in NBA teams, each owning a G League team now where you're investing in almost a minor league system. It's just, it's going to wind up changing the entire sport. Well, you're always going to, it's always going to be a superstar driven league. They're going to sell t-shirts. They're going to sell tickets. But what's actually going to make the on-court product better is the chance that you're going to see someone you've never heard of have a career defining night every single night of the year. Like there's no other sport where that happens. Like a taco fall coming up from the main red claws. Dude, can't wait. Tremont waters last night for the Celtics. Yeah. One more, uh, one more point on, on Luca. And again, you know, the, with the NBA and the, the pace of play, I mean, the Mavericks right now have the number one offense in the history of the NBA <laughs> going back to 1973 based on the numbers. Right. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. I think it's more interesting to compare Doncic to a player who might have been playing 15 or 20 years ago when the NBA was styled very differently. And I see him kind of like as a, a generational Lamar. Oh, okay. There was a guy who had just substantial tools in that particular body, you know, could kind of do it all, um, but never really made the leap. And, and part of it is his own personal problems. Yeah. Yes, sure. But there were times like that one season that Odom was with the heat when he was at his best with the Lakers. Uh, there were some Luca pieces there. It's just that the league wasn't really set up for him to dominate the way that a guy uh, can today. So that's that's uh, my kind of comment. I, th- I think the really interesting thing about Luca is that he's doing this in year two after a phenomenal year one. And I'm interested to see kind of how much longer he can do this before the rest of the NBA kind of catches up with a guy like Luca. I think the future of the NBA is definitely overseas. So you might see more guys who are coming in. Ricky Rubio kind of did this when he was drafted, or at least it was the same type of touting going on. I don't think he ever achieved the level of um, – a phenomenon that that Luca seems to be attaining now, but I do think there's more guys that will fit the Luca mold. Maybe not to the same level. Come through. So I think we should enjoy it while we have it. While uh, this unicorn, he's like the word unicorn gets flown, like gets thrown around a lot. I'm, yes, I'm going to call Luca Doncic the Pegasus because right now he's the only horse with wings on, uh, and I think that's a. I think Pegasus, is a, the Pegasus kid, is a good nickname for Luca. Um, which uh, pro, which pro wrestler was the Pegasus Kid? Wasn't there one called the Pegasus? That kid? would be uh, Chris Benoit from his time in New Japan Pro Wrestling. <laughs> oh, that's, there's a guy that uh, doesn't get referenced very much. Not very days. much. I wonder why. <laughs> yeah. I wonder and why. Regardless, he's he's a horse <laughs> with wings. <laughs> I'm a big fan of the Pegasus, Luka Doncic. Um, but one thing that is interesting, and this actually uh, another good question for you that I had. We're kind of popcorn popcorning all over the place here on this this uh, Thanksgiving mailbag episode uh, of the Knuckle Pushups. Don't scrape a popcorn ceiling, huge. That's mess. right. Yeah, um, a couple guys who have been playing for a couple of years now that I feel like have kind of like jumped from one plateau to another are Miles Turner and um, and Sabonis. On the, on the on Pacers. Both on the, on the Pacers. Team. So my question for you is if the Pacers are going to take the jump, if they're going to level up from plateau to plateau, I think they can only do so behind one of those guys, either Turner or Sabonis. So of those two, who is uh, who are you who are you taking in that in that 
Haas battle. I'm a Sabonis yeah. guy. And, you know, no offense to Turner, he's a fine player. But, you know, given my old school sensibilities, give me the guy who's the eager rebounder um, and give me the guy who puts his ass in the paint and gets it done down low. Because, you know, Miles Turner's kind of going the Serge Ibaka route when he was with Oklahoma City. He sees his value as a floor spacer and he's just heading out behind the arc. And Sabonis is like, fuck you, Arc. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I'm getting down here, I'm doing up and unders, I'm pump faking. I'm getting baskets the hard way. Um, Turner can obviously block shots. Uh, he's a he's a better defensive player than Sabonis by far. Uh, but I I'm just I'm a Sabonis guy. Maybe it's because I wanted him on the Celtics so bad, <laughs> and uh, it, it did not actually come to fruition. I just think Miles Turner strikes me as the kind of guy who could fetch a king's ransom from a team that's one level below where the Pacers are. You know, I think uh, I think you're right. I get a lot of Marcus Soul vibes. From uh, yep. from Sabonis, so I think he's the kind of guy too that he could wind up staying in, in in Indiana for the vast majority of his career and just be kind of the known quantity that you know what you're getting. And Miles Turner is kind of a guy who you could ship off as the centerpiece of a package and probably get a lot of pieces back. Not that you couldn't do the same with Sabonis, but I just have a feeling you can probably get a little bit more in the immediate return for someone like Miles Turner. So. I think with a Turner, you look at his ceiling of, you know, the the, the floor space or the you know the the huge block shot numbers, and you just it wows you. Sabonis's game, I think, is is a little more old school, a little more nuanced uh, to that nature. So yeah, I mean, there's there's tremendous uh, possibilities with both players. But to your point, um, you know, maybe Turner's the guy. I, I guess we'll see how they handle that handle that in Indiana. I've got another uh, – this kind of either-or has sparked an idea for another either-or that I've got on my list here. Uh, recently, Brandon Ingram is uh, being – you know, the, I saw a couple pieces written this week where statistically now Brandon Ingram is undeniably better than Ben Simmons. But there's another, there's another guy on the Pelicans who has been kind of touted as uh, the next big thing. So before we even see him step on the court, who are you taking, Brandon Ingram or Zion Williamson? Brandon Ingram, baby. Give me Ingram. Oof. There's a reason he's a former number two pick. Um, you know, we are finding, and we saw flashes of it in L.A., but I, I, and I, I know maybe his three-point shooting this year is a little bit unsustainable, but he can impact the, day, the game in a lot of different ways. Um, all I know about Zion Williamson is that he's a force of nature, and it, it kind of seems like the injury gods. What was the movie where they had to blow up? That was it Armageddon. You could be talking about Armageddon. Like you could be talking about the Deep asteroid Impact. or something. There were several several asteroid movies in the in the mid nineties. Are you talking about the one with Aerosmith or the one with Morgan Freeman as president? <laughs> I forget they all blend together at this they point. Do. It, it was so long ago, but uh, it, but. It kind of seems like injuries are the thing that's going to you know blow up that natural disaster that is Zion Williamson can't stay healthy thus far, and we have no idea. LeBron came in this raw physical player, right? Charles Barkley came in this raw physical player. They eventually figured out you know an outside shot, and thinking is here probably Zion Williamson will add an outside shot as well. But until he can be consistently healthy. And show me that he can impact the game in more ways than just bowling his way to the basket um, as this bowling ball of a human. 
I've yet to be convinced. I'll I'll take the uh, the finesse player any day of the week. Well, I've got uh, I, I I appreciate your takes. I'm gonna put those mashed potatoes right next to these yams here, and I've got another good either or for you, Sean. Would you yeah. rather go tell? Would you rather tell me what you're thankful for about the NBA right now, or would you rather get worked up and do some take a bus? Which one would you rather? <laughs> Well, I mean, in the spirit of Thanksgiving, I'd, I'd love to talk about the things that I'm thankful that's good. for, but I think hot take and take a bus, like that segment, it's starting to take over my life. <laughs> like I'm on the train coming home tonight and a woman sits down and I don't know if it was Chick-fil-A. I, do we have Chick-fil-A in the city I, limits in Boston? I think there might be one or two. It's not an establishment I frequent. Um, right. So she had a, a delicious looking and smelling piece of chicken and she just sits right down next to me you know in the seat on the commuter rail and i'm thinking you know it is the dinner hour it is six o'clock right now this woman is eating some delicious smelling chicken in front of everybody and i'm thinking hot take or take a bus (laughs) eating smelly fast food on a commuter train during the dinner hour is is perfectly acceptable. Oh, dude, take a fucking bus man are you kidding me take a bus taking your life in your hands there (laughs) like take a bus Honestly, that type of behavior belongs on a bus. Take a bus. So I'm in on. I'm in on. Uh, what's your uncle's Trot. name? Is Uncle Fletch? Trot. Uncle Close Trot. with Fletch. <laughs> Trot. <laughs> I am in on Uncle Trot. Yeah. Um, well, let's do this before we get all worked up. Why don't we give thanks quickly and then blow this out? But the uh, yes, sir. So let's. I'm swearing a lot tonight. I'm having fun. The, uh, We're going to have to put the explicit tag yeah. next to our podcast so, when it gets distributed. Just leave the cusses in. Give me some bleeps, baby, when you're doing post on this. The uh, but Okay, so things that I'm thankful for. Three things I'm thankful for about the NBA this season. I am thankful for League Pass, number one. It's the gift that keeps on giving. In my opinion, it is the most uh, bang-for-your-buck streaming service there is. There's some improvements, of course, I'd love to make. Um, but I am very thankful for League Pass and the ability to kind of go back and watch whatever games I want whenever I want. It's a great way to experience the league, great way to sell people on certain things, and it's really nice to get up, feed the baby, burp the kid, and watch three or four condensed games in a half hour. Beautiful. What's something you're thankful for, Sean? I am thankful uh, for the return of my Boston Celtics. The safe return of my Boston Celtics to the upper echelon of the NBA. And that includes a team that is playing without Gordon Hayward effectively right now. That includes a team that is playing, or at least had to play, for one and a half games. We'll see if he comes back Wednesday against Brooklyn without Kemba Walker, who, man, that guy's been everything we wanted in his time in Boston, and it got real scary there on Friday night in Denver. Yes, it did. Uh, thank goodness it wasn't anything more than it was, and uh, hopefully we can get a safe return to the court. But as a Celtics fan, I'm reinvigorated, I'm reengaged, and I am just thrilled uh, with how the season is going thus far. Please, God, I hope I didn't just jinx it. The Celtics were my number two, so I'll jump right to my number one. The number one thing I'm most thankful for this season is do- doing the Knuckle Push-Ups podcast with you every week, bud. This has brought my level of, yeah, man. I mean, this is something we've talked about doing for years. We've tried a couple times. Shout out to So There I Was, <laughs> our, our first attempt at <laughs> podcasting. We did knuckle push-ups a couple years ago, but the fact that it's back, 
arguably at the apex of the podcast boom. I'm excited to be mixing it up and, and really kind of making this uh, something we do weekly, man. I mean, I wouldn't trade this time for anything. So I'm very thankful for you and for this opportunity. Well, thank you. It's it's our friendship. Uh, added another dimension to our friendship. Yes. Um, I, I'm going to just say for mine, uh, the, the thing that I think I'm, I might be most happy, well, I'm probably most happy about the Celtics. I'm happy for Isaiah Thomas. Yes. I'm thankful Isaiah Thomas is back in the league. Yes. And I'm also thankful for the diversity of uh, competitors that we have here. I just I read an article, a preseason articles were saying there's seven teams who could win the title. There's eight teams. I read one recently that said there are nine teams that could win the title. I love the fact that we aren't jumping to the conclusion that it's going to be Warriors-Cavs in the spring or, you know, Warriors-Celtics as it was last year, even though that would have been fun sure as a Boston yeah. fan. Uh, it, the, the NBA uh, Finals representatives could come from a lot of different directions. Intriguing subplots all around. It's going to be a fun season. I hope it continues. Yeah, I mean, this is really a season that I think is going to sh- separate the wheat from the chaff as far as fandom goes. But being a really progressive league, I don't think it's going to matter because the way the league is presented and the way it's consumed, it's going to, you're making a million little fans every single day uh, and internationally, domestically. I just think the NBA is great. And I do hope at some point we get like a, an Indiana Sacramento finals. And uh, that's not going to be driven necessarily by superstars, but just by style of play. I think that's going to be really you interesting. Think that could ever, ever happen, Patrick? I, I don't know. It's going to take a lot of Amazon Prime memberships to get that thing to happen. But uh, you never know, man. You never know. This is a man who's looking at uh, the new television distribution <laughs> system or the, the the new patterns of consumption for media and seeing it as a way to, to cure all the ills about the sport. Hey, hey, you know, I mean, you got to think big. And, uh, and that's what we're doing. Me and Bezos, same haircut. We think about things a lot of the same way. You got a lot of teammates <laughs> yeah. with that, uh, that haircut there. If you had a Survivor Series team of uh, guys with that, with that shiny that's dog. That's right, the Baldies. I'm telling you, it would be quite formidable. <laughs> the, uh... You, Boris, Zukov, you know, Bezos, and Adam Silver. Yeah, and team captain, Stone Cold Steve Austin. I mean, come on. Yeah, nice. I don't know why I went for it. Hey, why not, man? I, the Russian bear? Come on. Um, but all right, so that's that's what we're thankful for. Let's say it wouldn't be a knuckle push-up uh, presentation, a boogie-down production here, if we didn't uh, close up with getting worked up before bedtime. So why don't we move this to hot take, take a bus, and uh, and kick this thing off. So yeah, for it. anyone, if you're just joining us now, if uh, what we do, we rank, we have a couple stories here that we rank. It's either a hot take, meaning we agree with that, we expound on it a little bit, or we disagree with it and tell it to take a bus. We channel my uncle Trot and say take a bus, which means get the fuck out. So let's uh, let's do that now. I've got a couple topics here, baby. I'm going to throw them out there. You let me know what you think. Adam, jump okay. in wherever you want. Um, the three pointer is way too easy, and something needs to change. Hot take. Ooh, okay. I, the thing is, I don't know what I do, Patrick. I don't know if we go rock and jock, and you got a little, uh, you got a little. Uh, who the hell was that guy? You got a little Dean Kane. What was the other guy? There was some. Was Corbin Burnson <laughs> in Rock and Jock? There's some Dean Kane, Corbin Burnson. Sure. There was another guy. Michael Rappaport. Rappaport. <laughs> You'd have Dave, Dave but, Cortez. Yeah. 
Uh, yes, Dave Cortez. What the hell was Dave Cortez famous? He was uh, MTV Sports, and he played. And he okay. played. That, that was he was it. Elaine Bennis, uh, the himbo boyfriend on one episode of Seinfeld. Oh my God! I was gonna say, like, what's other than outside of MTV? What was his media, you know, profile? I think that was it. <laughs> Dave Cortez. Good. Corbin Burnson. Been a long time. <laughs> Corbin Burnson, the dad from Psych slash the lead of LA Law. Slash, uh, slash, uh, Roger, Roger Dorn. Dorn that's uh, right. Major League. So he might have just been Rocket Jock Softball. Yeah. I'm not sure. But I don't know if we need to go to some sort of wild Rocket Jock system or what. I'm out. I'm out on threes. I'm, I'm out on threes. I'm nearly reaching my breaking point where just, Patrick, I, I can't say anything else. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I just, I'm too upset. <laughs> I'm out on three. Oh, passing up open layups or three pointers is not good basketball. It's not. No, it's it's, it's not. asinine. And like two seasons ago, it's what did in the Rockets. You know. Yeah. So it's like it's it, it's the three point revolution until it's not. Until it dramatically is not. It cost James Harden a trip to the Western Conference Finals, um, and it will continue to do so. I mean, it's uh, it's 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 an exciting play. It's great, but, you know, take a bus. I mean, leave the fucking – if you want to make three-pointers, like, the all you're going to do, I just hope that leads to perimeter defense getting that much stronger. So, like, yeah. leave it alone and watch what happens. That's my approach. I can't figure out with, with analytics how defenses haven't been able to respond to the fact that these are the only shots that teams are right. taking. I, I don't get it. It's it's some real philosophy major bullshit, honestly. It's uh, it's gonna wind up like coming back. There's ebbs and flows in every sport. Someone's gonna figure out that yep. the mid range is really where the money is. To quote my man Evan Turner, yes. and it's gonna come it's back. back in the mid-range, exactly, baby. it's coming back because not everyone can hit a three. But if you can hit a fifteen footer, uh, you know, effectively, then you'll have a fifteen year career. So I don't know. <laughs> it'll be back. It'll be back. Trust me, Sean. It's coming. The uh, all right. Next topic. The Sixers should fire Brett Brown. Hot take. Okay. I don't think that I, I don't think that Brett Brown is is the guy to lead them to the uh, to the promised land. And a lot of Celtics fans say that Brad Stevens may not be the guy to lead them to the promised land. The thing they have in common is that they were both part of a rebuild and then kind of found themselves quickly in a position where a lot more was expected of them than maybe they anticipated. Sure. Uh, Brad Stevens's team and and he maybe as a coach he might even. Uh, might even admit that he fell a bit on his face last year. But this is his opportunity to prove differently. I don't think that Brett Brown is the tactician who solves the problems in Philly, though. No, I definitely don't. I agree with you. This is a hot take. I think uh, Brett Brown, I don't think he's the the man for the job, but he is going to be the national team for Australia. So best of luck down on to Brett. Um, Okay, next one. The Nets are better without Kyrie Irving. They're more fun without Kyrie Irving. I mean – I don't know if they win more games. I mean, the Celtics were more fun and won more games uh, when they had IT at the point than they did in Kyrie's second and final season in Boston. So, I mean, you know what? Hot take. Screw you, Kyrie. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I think the thing with Kyrie is that he's always going to be a guy that comes in and a fan base is going to be really excited that he's there. But he's not going to deliver the goods ultimately because I just think that he needs to play with people who think exactly like he does. And he has a superstar mentality, which means the only way he's going to thrive is part of a duo, 
are part of the big three. That may happen in Brooklyn. We don't know. Let's see what KD thinks when he gets back there. But that's just his role, man. I mean, he's the third heat. He's uh, he's the he's the he just needs to be the third guy. I mean, it could be equal and opposite. He could be the Chris Bosh, but it's not going to happen without two other guys that can kind of like um, balance him out. Who is the third man? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Hulk Hogan, go get him, go baby. Get him, baby. <laughs> Yeah. For more Kyrie Irving, yeah, That's right. Kyrie Kyrie Irving can go straight to hell. <laughs> we need Tony Schiavone on this podcast stat. Okay. Hot take or take a bus, my man. The NBA doesn't need centers anymore. Take, take a, bus. a fucking the NBA bus. could always use a center. 100%, man. I think the But it, it's crazy though how many teams are playing, it, Celtics included. With small lineups. Yeah. Well, I think you have to boil it down to what a center does for an offense. It's not necessarily the tallest guy who can grab the most offensive rebounds. The center is the fulcrum through which everything else pivots. I mean, you need the anchor. So maybe you want to call it a center or not, but the center needs to be the guy that is like basically can stand strong and let everything else operate around them. If you can do it at 6'2", great. If you can do it at 6'8", even better. Or if you can do it at 7'3", awesome. Taco, I'm looking at you. But you need someone to be basically the the fulcrum point at which everything else balances. That's what a center does. The NBA doesn't need centers. Take a fucking bus. Of course you do. Last one, my dude. Shout out to the godfather, Greg Popovich. Greg Popovich will never win another NBA title and probably should retire. Well, it's a combination, I guess, uh, hot take and take sure. a bus. Now, hot take. Take a hot bus. Yes. I don't think Pop's winning another title, but I don't think that he should retire. I don't think that he's you know too antique for the league right now. I mean, him flouting the analytics and going you know with the mid-range Jays, if, if anybody could pull that off, it's Popovich. Um, for – I just think it's it's more the personnel right now, yeah. and that's why the Spurs won't win another title. There's a little bit of Brady Belichick to the Popovich Duncan relationship, and you know, also you know, with the the scouting, with the analytics, the rest of the league has caught up to the fact that you know the Spurs did had great international scouting. Uh, they constantly landed effective role players year after year. Now other teams are using those methods, even even some of the guys that used to work under Popovich in San Antonio, and it's just harder for the Spurs to separate themselves from the pack in those ways. That's he's still a fun coach. Um, you know, maybe DeMar DeRozan's not the leader that he needs for that Spurs team, but I, I still think that they're a, uh, he has the potential to coach some some interesting teams and should keep doing it as long as he's happy. Hundred percent. I think the NBA doesn't operate the way it does without a guy like Popovich around. I think um, I don't know if they're going to be at the center of another revolution like they were with the international game. I do think it's possible, but the chances of another coach beating him to it are far better. It's uh, I I think the G League is probably the new international. Uh, the new yeah. international scouting is the G League now. Interesting. Yeah, because I think there's just going to be easier for people to enter there. You know, and instead of uh, I don't know, they, they're going to figure out some some relationship stuff they have with the NCAA. But if there's a way for you to go, like leave high school, go play overseas, come back, play through the G League, and then get signed to a, a team uh, without having to go to the NCAA, that might be something people are onto. Take a hot take bus. a hot bus next to a chicken sandwich. 
Well, I think that's all I got for you now, man. I think it's, uh, I, I want to say thanks again. Close up this mailbag and, um, and we'll, uh, we'll see you on the other side. And by the other side, I mean tomorrow night because we're going to see Brooklyn. We're going to see the Celtics and the Nets play at the, uh, the Garden. This podcast is dropping on a Wednesday morning. So I think if I don't send this pod out with a little uh, smashing pumpkins tonight, tonight, <laughs> describe our anticipation for this game. Why the hell aren't you there, Kyrie Irving? I would love to unleash my vitriol upon you. You did not come through. No. I mean, Kyrie right now is playing like someone who's going to be doing color commentary on NBA TV in roughly three years. This is some bullshit. Come take your lumps. (laughs) All right, that's it for the Knuckle Push-Ups podcast. Happy Thanksgiving to all of you. And uh, thanks, Take a bus.